every life is precious to God. Preborn life is protected by God. And here's what I want you to hear. New life is possible with God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you have committed murder, if you have had an abortion, if you provided an abortion, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old choices, old habit patterns, old sins have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm glad you're with us today. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, there's no question that at times people find themselves in extremely difficult and painful situations with tough decisions to make as it relates to preborn life. So how can we as a church compassionately come alongside those who are wrestling with these issues as we love them with the gospel? Well, today, Pastor Trent will conclude his message, Be Bold About the Sanctity of Life, with a powerful personal testimony from his wife, Andrea Griffith, on her own journey from sin and struggle to salvation and forgiveness. Here's Pastor Trent. So the question is, what is going on in a culture that doesn't acknowledge the sovereignty of God and his handiwork in creating every human life How did we get to the place in a culture where we would allow abortion to assault God's handiwork? Who's responsible for that? Well, first of all, lawmakers are responsible. The United States Supreme Court, in a ruling on January the 22nd, 1973, a ruling known as Roe versus Wade, struck down the laws of all 50 states allowing abortion for any reason up to the moment of live birth and the father's child, even if the father is married to the mother, has no legal right to prevent the abortion, which has resulted in 1.3 million abortions every year in America. And our lawmakers are responsible. But not only our lawmakers, abortion providers like Planned Parenthood, If you've been paying attention to the news at all, you realize that Planned Parenthood has been in the news as some videos have surfaced that not only have Planned Parenthood uh, been providing abortions, they've also been dismembering the bodies of those aborted babies and then selling the parts for profit. And all of it's happening while Planned Parenthood receives about a half a billion dollars of our tax money to perform their services. So providers are responsible, but not only providers getting more personal now, fathers are responsible, who again have used abortion as contraception to try to cover their unbridled sexuality and prevent them from taking responsibility for things that they have done through their sin. Fathers are responsible. Parents and grandparents who might have encouraged an abortion to cover up the sin of a young lady. Friends who would advise abortion. Pastors and churches who refuse to be bold and speak out on the sanctity of human life are responsible for creating the culture in which, finally, a frightened, trapped, vulnerable 
17-year-old girl who finds out that she has an unwanted pregnancy makes the tragic choice that is available to her to end the life of the child that God has placed in her womb. How tragic. And we're responsible. We're complicit for allowing it and not speaking out. Listen, the abortion option should never have been available to that young lady. Is it any wonder that she would choose that option as supposedly an easy way out? So what's happened? In the United States, did you know that about half of all pregnancies are unintended? And of those unintended pregnancies, four in 10 of those pregnancies will end in abortion. That means that about 21% of all pregnancies in the United States will end in abortion. One out of five babies who are conceived will be terminated, will have their life ended. About 42 million abortions occur every year worldwide. That means that in our world, Every day, 115,000 babies are introduced to the outside world through a chemical designed to kill them in the womb or a surgical instrument designed to dismember them. All of that in spite of what we've just read about how intricately involved God is. You say, well, Trent, abortion's a complicated issue. It's so complex. There's so many different factors. Listen, I don't pretend to know all the factors that would go into someone choosing to have an abortion, but I do know this. Though it is sociological in complexity, it is not a morally complex issue. It all comes down to a single question. Whatever the questions or whatever the complexities, it all comes down to one question. The question is simply this, what or who is in the womb? How you answer that question determines how you will vote. It determines on how you would advise your 17-year-old daughter who may come home one day and announce that she's pregnant, though single. It will determine what you do as a husband and wife when you find out that you have an unwanted pregnancy. What or who is in the womb? And you have two options to answer that question. Gregory Cockle states this. If the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is needed. You don't have to answer the hard questions. If it's not human life... It's as simple as going to the dentist and having a tooth pulled. If it's an inconvenience, if it's causing a little duress, then just take care of it. Get it out of the way. There's no justification needed if it's not human. But if the unborn is a human person, then no justification for abortion is adequate. No matter what you argue, Abortion is homicide. You are taking the life of a human being stamped with the image of God. So, so what kinds of justification do people offer? Well, they just simply say, unborn life is not human life. 
I mean, it's, it's a blastocyst. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a woman's body. It, it just, it just, it's not a human life. And they say that because they think that somehow it's too small. Now, listen, as a person who is shorter than the average guy, I take offense to that, okay? <laughs> what you are saying is, if you are smaller, you are less human. Most women are smaller than most men. Would you say that women are less human than men because they are smaller? Size is not a determining factor for personhood. Listen, all 50 states have what we call fetal homicide laws. Do you know what that is? If through your negligence or through your aggression, you take the life of an unborn child and the life of its mother, you're guilty of manslaughter and will go to jail. Unless you're a physician providing an abortion. What kind of legal logic does, does that make? It, it makes absolutely no sense, does it? So size is not a determining factor. The level of development is not a determining factor. Any more than we would say a four-year-old is not as developed as a 14-year-old. Does that mean a four-year-old is not human or less human? And we all know that 14-year-olds are not developed the way that they one, way, one day will be when their brains go back in place, right? When we wouldn't say that a 14-year-old is less human. Environment is not a factor. It's like, well, it's in the womb, so it's not here yet, so it's not human. When does where you are determine what you are? Does traveling down a birth canal six inches create life? No. Some people say, well, the degree of dependency is what makes a person human. Does that mean that diabetics, anybody here a diabetic, you have to take insulin shots? Are you? Would we say you're not human because you're dependent upon insulin for living? Or would we say the elderly that become dependent at some point for care are less human and are not a person. The logic does not make any sense. Unborn life is human life. Some people say, well, women have a right to privacy. I agree. Every woman, every man for that matter, has a right to a certain degree of privacy. But where in South Bend, Indiana, do two people have the right to meet in secret and conspire to kill another human being in South Bend, Indiana. No, at that point, we say you no longer have the right to privacy. When your right to privacy risks the life of another person, we intervene and we take away your right to privacy. And so that doesn't make sense. Some people say, well, women should have the right to choose. This abortion is a, uh, it's a women's rights issue. I would acknowledge that men have not always adequately acknowledged and fought for the rights of women, equal rights. I would acknowledge that. But do you understand that even though our personal choices is what makes us free, no one has absolute autonomy, no one has absolute freedom to do whatever you do, your right to freedom and your right to choose ends where my life is at stake. And we take away, we limit your choice in the same way that my 14-year-old daughter is not given the choice to be able to drive on the roads of Indiana. Why? 
because she would put other lives at risk. So we take it, we limit your right when it risks the lives of others. Some people say, well, it's a women's rights issue. Okay, great. I'm all for women's rights. When's the last time you stood up for the rights of 700,000 pre-born women who are killed every year in this country before they were born? Now let me hear you talk about human and women's rights. Let's talk about the rights of a woman to be born. Some people would say an unwanted pregnancy is just simply too great of a hardship for someone to bear. If they're single, they're living in poverty, they they can't take care of this child, then maybe the child is diagnosed with a a prenatal illness like Down Down syndrome. Did you know that 92% of all parents that find out they have a child who will be born with Down syndrome choose to abort that child? 92%. While the test is up to half wrong. We have children in our nursery this morning with Down syndrome because of a courageous mom and dad that says, we acknowledge the sanctity of every human life. Some people say, what about in cases of rape and incest? Less than 1% of all abortions have anything to do with that, and yet somehow that's always the hot topic in the middle of a presidential debate. And yet, how would we use that argument for a three-month-old? If we found out that a three-month-old infant, baby, toddler, was the result of rape or incest, would we go in and terminate the life of that person? No, why? Because it's a human life. And so if it is a human life... The question is already answered for us. And we know that God can take the most tragic human choices, the most tragic sin, and turn beauty from ashes. And so we need to provide options. Other people say, well, adoption is not an option. Well, why not? We've got to be serious if we want to make a dent in 1.3 million abortions to hold out other options for those that feel like they have no other option. Here's the third thing. New life is possible with God. Every life is precious to God. Preborn life is protected by God. And here's what I want you to hear. New life is possible with God. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. Do you hear what it's saying? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you have committed murder, if you have had an abortion, if you provided an abortion, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old choices, old habit patterns, old sins have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you may look at that as like, I'm so great. I'll not be held accountable for my poor choices. I can just pretend like it never happened. Listen, listen. Freedom and forgiveness is not gained through minimizing your sin. 
It is gained when you come and confess, believing there are fresh starts and new beginnings through the power of Jesus Christ. You say, well, God would never be able to accept me. He would never be understand the things that I'm feeling because of what I've done to my child. I've, in, I've aborted my child. God would never understand that. Do you understand that God knows exactly what it feels like to lose a son? Do you understand that one day God watched as his 33-year-old son was aborted on a cross, his life ended. Why did that happen? Innocent life taken. The son of God was aborted for those who have aborted their sons and daughters so that your sin could be absorbed by the one who came to offer you new life through the power of grace and pardon and forgiveness. Some of you know that intellectually, and yet you've never allowed yourself to go there in your heart because it's so painful. Spiritually, you've never come and gained freedom and forgiveness through the power of the gospel. I met Andrea in December of 1992, but I waited until January of 1993 to pursue her. And so for that year of 1993, we started this long-distance relationship. So let me define long-distance relationship for those of you under the age of 40. This is before Al Gore invented the internet. So no email, no cell phone, no text messaging, no Facebook. You had to actually talk on a phone that had a wire connected to a wall and you had to actually physically write letters. And for a year, that's the way we got to know each other. And I got to know her heart and I saw things in her that were so unique. And now she had this special relationship with God that just blew me away. I was so attracted to that. And so when we started talking about those things, she said, you know what, before you let your mind go there, we need to talk. And so we went to a park in Memphis, Tennessee, and for a couple of hours, we talked. What Andrea shared with me in that park that day, she has now shared with thousands of women across the country. And what she shared with me, I think it's time to share with you. Watch this. Most people know me as the pastor's wife with five kids who is always smiling and trying to find out your name and find out who you are. But most people wouldn't know who I was about 25 years ago. As a young kid, I found myself becoming a very good liar. I wanted my own way, but I also wanted to be well-liked. And so how that worked itself out is that I began to be just very good at being deceitful and lying. And when I was young, some of those lies had small consequences, but the older I got, the bigger the consequences became. And as a teenager, I would tell my parents I'd be one place and I'd really go to another. Um, I would tell them I'd be going out with one guy and I'd really go out with another guy. And as I turned 16, I started dating more one-on-one. -on -one. And I started dating a guy and we got emotionally and physically way too deep, too fast. And I found out when I was 17 years old that I was pregnant. And again, I was still such a good liar that 
I didn't know where to go with that. I was still running from the light and living in the dark. And so because of that, I decided that I would have an abortion. that I was actually murdering my own baby. And instead of bringing it into the light, I just ran further into the darkness. After that, I, I started drinking. I was in despair. Um, I didn't really care much about my life or what happened to me. I figured because I took a life, my life should be taken um, at any time and wondered if I should even take my own. About that time, um, I found out about some people that really loved the Lord, and they had sin in their life, but they would bring it to the light. They would own up to their struggle. They would be honest about their sin, which is something that I had never done. And I started seeing in them what I wanted in my own life, which prompted me to um, just get honest with another woman about my sin and about the choices that I had made. And as I met with that woman, I was just confronted with my heart and she didn't let me wiggle out of it. She was pretty hard on me. And I left her and just went and had some time of just meeting with the Lord. And at that point, everything in my life started to change. I started to see my sin for the wickedness that it was. And I saw how my sin had offended a holy God and I didn't want to live that way anymore. It makes me think of 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about worldly sorrow that leads to death or godly sorrow that leads to life. And I just thought in my life that because I had guilt and because I experienced conviction that I must be okay with God but I didn't understand the difference between those two types of convictions. When I started getting around these people and seeing genuine repentance and genuine godly sorrow, I realized I didn't have anything like that, and I wanted it. It looked attractive to me. And so I went before the Lord, and God just started showing me my heart and the wickedness and the evil that lived inside of me. I didn't know what else to do, so I just started at the top of my head and I went to my feet and I just gave God every part of me and I just said, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm tired of knowing truth somewhere out there, but never being able to obey it and being able to change and live a life that has life and hope. I couldn't get enough of God's Word. Um, I started to lean into it and let it define me instead of my own thoughts and my own feelings. Um, one example would just be the forgiveness. For so long I kept thinking that I had to punish myself for all the wrong choices that I'd made, for all the sin that I'd been involved in. And yet as I started to read the Word and understand what it was saying, I learned that Jesus paid it all for me. 
Jesus paid for my sin. He was my ransom. That's why he gave his life so that he could redeem me and actually buy me back. I can never repay the debt that I owe to the Lord. And yet that's why Jesus had to come. I still fail all the time. Um, I make so many stupid decisions. I, I still sin. And yet now I know where to go with it. I know to bring it in the light. I know what to do with sin. You confess it so that then you can be free of it and walk in the light. Just leaning into the Word every day and letting Jesus, who is my life, be my life, my joy, my love, my passion. It is all wrapped up in Him. A lot of times people ask me, why do you share that? Why do you share that with people? I mean, it was almost 30 years ago, and um, I'm the pastor's wife of a growing church. You can just keep that hidden, keep it away. Why would you even bother? And um, I want this to be a safe place. I want this church to be a place where people know that you can come broken that you can come without having it all together. Um, in fact, if we don't come that way, I don't know how much of Jesus we're gonna be able to know and experience because that's why he came, for broken, messed up people like me and um, like you. And when we come that way, broken and realizing our own failures and deep sin, that's when we can find that there is a savior and a redeemer and a rescuer who is bigger and greater than all our sin. And that's what the gospel is. And um, so many of you came in this room today and I was looking at your faces and I was like, there's so many people here I don't know anymore. And um, I want to know you, but I don't know your past. I don't know the things that the shame, the things that are holding you back from experiencing all the freedom and the joy and the love that God has for you. And I don't have to know it, but there's a Savior who does. And I just wonder, have you brought it to Him? Have you brought the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you want to keep hidden? because that's where life is found. It's in His goodness, it's in His forgiveness, it's in His grace. That's what the gospel is, that we could never pay for our sin. And so Jesus came and paid the price for us. He, he's the reason that I share that, because He is amazing. And um, I hope you know that. And if you don't, um, we're here we're not playing when we have church. <laughs> We're here to deal with real issues. So please come. Please come talk to someone at the church. Please just meet Jesus, the Savior, the one who's able to take the brokenness and change it into something he can use. We just heard a powerful testimony from Andrea Griffith. 
her own account of the grief and hopelessness that she experienced after choosing to abort her unborn baby as a 17-year-old girl. And we heard about the forgiveness and mercy that she found in Jesus Christ as she turned to Him in repentance. Well, we want you to know, if you or someone you love is struggling to know the forgiveness of Christ after choosing abortion, we at Harvest Bible Chapel would love an opportunity to pray with you and encourage you. Or if you are facing a difficult decision, it would be our privilege to walk with you through this challenging time. Well, we'd also like to invite you to join us at Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Our pastors and elders are available after every service and would love the opportunity to care for you. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And it's my prayer that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us on the web at harvestgranger.org.